Hello, and welcome into episode two of the Stomp the Bus show. My name is Mark Harris, and I'm with my co-host. What's up, guys? It's Darren Allen. Happy to be back for another week, as always, with Mark. You're the highlight of the show, my friend. Just seeing well, your face on my screen is, is what I look forward to every week. Thank you. I, I actually showered today, so I was hoping that would... Uh, That's rare for you. Bring in the, I know, yeah. Bring in the radiant glow. What's the special uh, occasion? The show? Is that why you showered? uh work actually my job Ooh, and this is good. actually not our job uh we, oh, we do <laughs> the this youtube ad subscribes haven't come in just yet so no. in time anyway we're in the long game that's right that is right uh well glad to have everyone back watching again um not as much conf not as much conference realignment news i could say at this time uh this past week there are a few kind of news and notes. Um, I'd say one of the biggest things that's come out is uh, last week it was reported, maybe it was earlier this week, but the SEC saying we're good on expansion for now. I mean, emphasis on like the for now part, you know, but I, I think mean, it why made- should they? They're, they're the superpower of college football right now. They have no incentive to – uh, the Big Ten adds two teams. They're like, okay, they're trying to keep up with us. You know, right. they're the pace car of this whole thing. That's who everybody's trying to catch. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Right. I think the only, excuse me, the only counter to that would be is people concerned that, oh, they're, the SEC is going to add Clemson and Florida State, you know. So, but who knows? Like, they, they could totally be at 20 teams five years from now. So, yeah. Uh, it's definitely not set in stone, but I also don't think it means you're going to wake up two weeks from now and see a tweet that North Carolina and Clemson are going to the SEC. I think that it's it's probably on their end, uh, just kind of extinguishing a fire before it starts type of thing. So that's good, and that's, that's good um, with any tangentially related Pac-12 ACC merger, because it wouldn't be an official merger, but partnership – because uh, the only way that any Pac-12 team would want to do that is if the premier brands and the ACC are in there. So, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I'm just going off of kind of a hunch here, but I think we've seen the bulk of the moves, at least for this offseason. I think what we have yeah. now is kind of what we're going to have going into 2022. I think we're going to continue to hear rumblings. We're going to continue to hear, oh, the ACC is looking at, X, Y, and Z, or the SEC is going to consider this, that, and the other. But right. like, the way it looks right now, I don't think we're going to have any groundbreaking news. And I think uh, the Pac-12 sentiment about this whole expansion thing is a pretty good indication of that. I, I know uh, George Kalakoff, did I say that right? Kalakoff? Close enough. Kalakoff. Yeah. I'll, I'll get it. But I know he said that they're kind of, they're not, the Pac-12 isn't panicking. The, the schools that are left in the Pac-12 are kind of just waiting to see. I, I don't expect any significant news to right. come out about realignment, at least for the remainder of this offseason. Famous last words. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, um, no, you're right. I mean, tomorrow we're going to find out that the SEC is creating their own league. Right. And it's just going to be college football in the SEC, which they probably yeah. could do. And it would be they a could, So. They could like the Big Ten and the SEC could just pull away from college football, but I think if they did that, it would be bad for them in the long term because they would just shut out so many fans that wouldn't watch. 
otherwise. Right. You know? um, I was being facetious. I don't think that's happening tomorrow, Mark. No, probably, probably not. Um, yeah. So basically, and then another kind of similarly, I think I said that right. Uh, similarly related yeah, article. We'll, we'll go with it. Uh, yeah, came out of Portland journalist uh, John uh, John Kenzano. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. looking at the wrong article. Um, basically, it was a quiet weekend for the Pac-12 ads and stuff. And the the, the big theme with the Pac-12 is they're kind of just waiting. Uh, in a, a few days after the news of USC and UCLA leaving. It, the Pac-12 released a statement, we're negotiating with our TV partners. And I think the point of that is they, all these schools, they just want to know exactly how much their next deal is going to be worth. And same with the big 12. So that's why, at least for now, there hasn't, there is going to be a bunch of rumbling because no one's just going to make some huge jump out of a panic move, you know, and we kind of touched on that last week. So I think that, um, yeah, I think that we're probably going to have a, Pac-12, like, I think the season, whatever the Pac-12 season is going to be kind of just what we thought it would be anyway, you know, if we were analyzing this two months ago before the news came out. Uh, so I, I think that that's, that's good. And I just hope that the leaders at ASU, Michael Crow, Ray Anderson, everyone is figuring out what the best future plan is for them, whether it's staying in the Pac-12 or jumping to the Big 12 if need be, um, just whichever gives them the best, uh, most resources, the best footing going forward, you know? Right. And in uh, Kinzano's article, it looks like they're pretty confident staying at 10 members, the Pac-12 the pack or the Pac-10. It would be the Pac-10, yeah. Yeah, I, it looks like, I mean, the numbers point to the remaining 10 sticking together. Dialogue has been candid, productive, and forward-thinking. I don't know, I think... I don't I don't expect to see anything significant for the foreseeable future, just based right. on the sentiment that I'm reading here and, and what the athletic directors have sort of hinted at. So. Right. And he's getting his sources from Pac-12 people. So. Right. And, and right. Here, and it has to be taken into account. But I also don't think they're just well, I mean, they could be outright lying to him. Who knows? But. Right. And you know. it says that the four corner schools wouldn't leave unless something else happened, unless the exactly. conference was splintered first so as far as asu leaving the conference i don't think there's anything significant on the on the horizon excuse me in, in that regard it looks like we're, we're kind of it looks like we're kind of in a holding pattern here yep so yep and so uh i saw yeah and kind of related to that i saw an article from john wilner out of the san jose mercury news and it was kind of a it was going through all 10 of the remaining Pac-10 schools and examining how afraid they should be in terms of, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the Pac-12, so it could fold and whatever, you know. So what kind of, why each team should feel the way that they do. I'll go to the highest levels first. So he had Washington and Utah, uh, their fear index as zero. Each of them is zero. Um, Basically, just because they're both in big, uh, you know, big markets, have strong fan support, like passionate fan support, which <laughs> differentiates them from ASU a little bit because ASU's fan base is not the most passionate, not the least passionate, but also not the most passionate. Yeah, um, ASU's fans, though, are 
Um, it's, it's a very small contingent of people, but that small contingent are the passionate bunch. I mean, yeah, it's a very small contingent, but that passionate small group is, is extremely passionate. Well, for sure. And also the thing with ASU, the thing with ASU that's kind of makes them a weird is that in terms of like the most, they like, they don't have the most passionate fans of all these schools, but they also just have so many bleeping alums and so many people that have gone to the school. What did we say about the bleep thing, Mark? Oh yeah. They they just have so many alums and so many potential like halfway football fans that if, if, and when ASU gets the next coach and let's, who knows, maybe they get like the next Mike Leach or something. Right. It's, it's a very lighten up the scoreboard that that could reel some people in, you know? Yeah. It's a very fair weather college football market. Oh, for sure. For Definitely. Sure. Which is if you're an ASU fan listening to this and arguing with like, look, I wish ASU fans were as passionate as Oregon fans be, or whatever. Just be self-aware. We, yeah. We're a very yes. fair weather fan base. Don't, don't ignore the facts. Okay. Right. Um, but that's interesting because I'm looking at this article too. And you're right. The, the zeros are uh, looks like Washington and Utah, you said. Yeah. But the second lowest fear index on this is ASU. Well, actually, I'd say they're the third because or he, he had Oregon's fear index as high with an asterisk okay. because the asterisk is they're trying to compete for national titles type of deal. So okay. they're definitely above us. But yes, that you're getting to the point that or the ASU is would be four and he has them as low. And I think a lot of people, there's obviously a lot of pessimism in the ASU fan base, as there should be, based on what the whole scope of the football operation is. I'm not saying the football team, because I think this team could actually be decent this year, but the whole scope of the football operation is not well with the investigation and having Herm Edwards still, which is crazy. Anyway, um, one of the concerns is, oh, well, how much will the investigation affect potential uh, realignment suitors, you know, and Wilner basically says almost not at all, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm looking at, the, I'm reading through it right now too. And it looks like the, the crux of this outlook is the media market. And that's, yep. that kind of aligns with everything we've been talking about with realignment and ASU does have the benefit of playing in, uh, I'm racking my brain here. And if I misspeak, probably next to, Salt Lake City, one of the biggest actual markets in the Pac. Well, Los Angeles. No, right, right now it's the second biggest market yeah, in the Pac-12 yeah, behind Seattle. I, I mean, after yeah, Seattle, yeah, Phoenix, and Salt Lake City are probably the biggest markets in the Pac-12. Well, and the Bay Area, but the Bay Area is it's weird because like yeah, because like Berkeley is the Bay Area is really and Stanford. Right, like we're saying ASU fans are fair weather. But like compared to like Cal fans and Stanford fans, were like Bills Mafia. You know? Right. Well, those are those are renowned football and athletic schools. Everybody, the Stanford and Cal are called uh, the Alabama and Auburn of the West Coast of the Silicon Everybody Valley. knows that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they are renowned athletic schools, but in like swimming and water polo and sailing. That's probably the Conference of Champions. Like that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So basically, Wilner's whole point is um, NCAA investigation doesn't matter in the long run. Um, market size matters. It's not the only thing that matters, but it does matter. So I think if you're an ASU fan thinking like, oh, what if we go to the Mountain West? What blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not going to happen. 
There's no worst case scenario is either staying in the Pac-12 or the Big 12. So yeah. from the that Pac-12, perspective, the Pac-12 is the floor. Yeah. 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 So that's comforting, I guess. It's kind of comforting. Um, he had Colorado and U of A in the moderate category. Um, I think, I think a lot of, I mean, Arizona and Colorado are very similar. Like both football programs are just completely irrelevant. Like ASU's football program is irrelevant. in when it comes to like, how do I say this? ASU football, it's not, it's not as irrelevant as U of A's football program. Like U of A's football, they, right. they, and, they and based won on one game. Else. Yeah, based on the outlook here, it almost seems like a piggyback situation, right? Where as long as U of A decides that we have to move in lockstep, which is what Wilner says, is as long as U of A decides that we have to do what ASU does and we have to sort of work as a team here in this realignment uh, landscape, they should be okay. But as he says, with UCLA splitting off from Cal, we saw what happened with Cal there, right? Cal became a little more irrelevant with UCLA splitting for the big 10. So as long as ASU and U of A sort of uh, team up here, then it, the outlook isn't. And I think that's what Wilner is getting at here with the fear index being moderate. As long as they do what they probably should do, they're going to be okay. Yeah. And yeah. I don't it, look as an ASU fan, it would be hilarious if asu somehow got in like a big 10 invite five years down the road and u of a didn't like that would be pretty funny but it's probably not going to happen that way you know like yeah but asu fans would lose their super bowl so it doesn't (laughs) territorial cup hater colton dodgson it's the worst rivalry in sport Oh, it's okay. I, I, Mark Harris is saying it is not. Send your hate mail to uh, Aaron Allen says it sucks. Darren Allen, yeah. Um, Oregon State is extreme, yeah. Oregon State and Wazoo are both extreme, and I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, they're both very small. I, Wazoo has a more passionate fan base, think, but they're in Corvallis and Pullman, and they yeah. still aren't like enormous fan bases. And then Cal and Stanford, he both has as high. I feel like Stanford shouldn't be in the same category as Cal just because Stanford has so much more money and more of like a football tradition than Cal does. At least Stanford, like you have some memories of them being good, even though their stadium is literally like 15% full on a game day. But oh, dude, don't knock the farm. The farm's, the farm's a good place to watch a game. It is. Well, it is. It's very relaxing, comforting, great weather. I mean, you might see a Heisman caliber running back. I feel like they always have one of those guys. Yeah. Bryce Love when we cover it. Running behind, uh, uh, like, I'm trying to do the math in my head. They're called four, offensive linemen. Yeah, running behind four tight ends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the fullback. Yeah. So, I think that th- that's just some good uh, background information. I also saw another article. Um, I didn't put this one in our show sheet, but saw it at work today. It was from Sports Illustrated. And this Pat Forty, he ranked all 69. Nice. Uh, of the of the Power Five schools, including the schools that are going to go to the Big Twelve, like Houston, UCF, BYU, uh, and I'm forgetting the other one, um, Cincinnati. And he ranked all of them by it was there was five factors that contribute to it. it was football success, academics, total like athletic um, 
success in terms of like the full scope of the other sports, uh, TV ratings. And then one that I don't know if he should have counted, but uh, stadium, just attendance in the game, which that probably has the least effect on actual decisions being made. But so it's, it's not a perfect list, but number one, the number one team in there was actually Colton guess the guess the number one team. It, sh- it shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, this is out of the big, the schools moving to the uh, no, no, no. This is out of the entire, all the power five schools. Oh, okay. Number one, Alabama. No, it was, uh, Ohio state was number one. Ooh. Okay. Cause it's was not it just Alabama about, through? it's not just about like winning on the field. It's about the whole scope of what you bring. Um, okay. So I, I mean, yeah. Alabama, Alabama was like fifth. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Or something like that. I, I, I think, yeah, I think Georgia was higher than Alabama. Um, Michigan, I believe, was number two. Uh, and then ASU, they had a, ASU. Where do you think ASU came in? Ooh. 69 teams. Out of 69. Oh, man. I'm going to say somewhere in the 30s. Am I warm? No. Yeah. It, they came okay. in. They Hang came on. In. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Right. Uh, so 30s. I'm going to say 30. Because we're the Conference of Champions and because our GPA is so high, I'm going to say the front half of 30, 33. Close. It, they were just 30 on the dot. Oh. Um, 30, and then they were actually uh, tied with uh, North Carolina State for 30, which that feels about right. Like, North Carolina State is a very ASU-type program in that, like, they're good. They're a good team, but they're also, like, you're never seeing North Carolina State in the playoff either, you know? And they're both in because North Carolina State's in Raleigh, so they're both in cities. They right. have like on paper reasons that they probably could be better than they are. And we've uh, never seen Russell Wilson at ASU, so right. Well, I, you could argue that because ha- they had uh, um, Philip Rivers too, mm-hmm. Mike Mike Glennon, who not a great quarterback, but in NFL, I think he's still in the league. So wait, I, I forgot NC State was QBU. Yeah, no, they've had a lot of, and they, I don't think they've made a, like a New Year's Six Bowl in the same span that ASU hasn't. So like, that's a, that would be a weirdly frustrating team to root for because wait, you what's have literally like, thing? what? I'm sorry. I'm just thinking, what's the most recent New Year's Six, New Year's Six Bowl that ASU has made? Dude, I think it was the 96 Rose Bowl. Oh, so that's yeah. more recent than anything NC State has done. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not for, I don't, not, not for sure. I'm just, I just don't remember. Like I've probably, I've watched college football for about what, 13 years. And I haven't seen them in a New Year's six bowl. ASU obviously hasn't either. Right. You said, um, you said ASU in New Year's six. And I was like, that's like oil and water. So. <laughs> They'll get close. They'll get close oftentimes, but they won't get there. Um, so yeah, I think, but, but I, I think that that, the fact that we're next to a team like North Carolina state in that type of list speaks to like, Oh, this actually like this list makes sense. You know, it's not like totally out of whack. And so it feels right. It feels right. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know if, if college football does come to some point where it's like, there's 50 teams and that's the D one. And it's not really conferences anymore. It's just like the 50, like, programs that can actually 
have the you know capability of competing at the highest level or you know just being in the top league i feel like asu would make that cut even though maybe if it was solely based on on on-field performance they might not but the fact that you have the phoenix media market even if it's not a fully engaged asu fan base in the phoenix media market the fact that you just have that is a huge uh just benefit to them you know? Right. And I think over the duration of this podcast, I think however long we do it, Mark, and I think we're going to do it for years to come. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be extremely critical of ASU because they've broken my heart so many times. The second that sure. I get arrested, the second that I'm like, wait, okay, I'm ready to get hurt again. We have a Utah game or a yeah. Oregon state game or a game where U of A doesn't have to pass in the second half, whatever it is. Um, but I don't remember a season where ASU had like an Oregon state type season. Right. I feel like they're always putting a team on the field. And I'm thinking back to the the season where I think it was 2019 where ASU beat Justin Herbert and Oregon. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like they're always capable of pulling things off like that. And yep. I think a top 50 program, I will absolutely give them that. That is the one thing I will concede. I think they're one of the top 50 programs in the country. And if we eventually got to that point where uh, the SEC decides to annex the NCAA in some merger, right? the SEC is now the league and just absorbs the top 50 teams, ASU would be in that. I think ASU is, is a top 50 team in the country. And I don't think you ever – on a year-to-year basis, I would say ASU's floor is probably four wins, even yeah. in the this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. This year, I feel, and and we're gonna get to that later on in this episode. But yeah, um, yeah. I think so. In the time that I, so I started as an ASU fan uh, the year before I went to college in 2013. That was the first of the two 10-win seasons. So I got un- unrealistic expectations of how been spoiled. Yeah, I know, but. Yeah. In that span, I think they've only had one non six and six. I think they went five and seven once. Um, and if you look back in ASU, like history on like Wikipedia or whatever, go record by year, I think there's like a maybe a three and nine in there somewhere, but it's not like littered with that, you know? Um, so th- you're right. That is a, a good, um, you like it's a good thing to not be obviously bad, you know? Like, uh, you always have a reason to watch. Exactly. Like, let's just take it to the NFL. Like, people aren't making like jokes about how I don't know who's like an app. Like uh, the Cardinals. Like the Cardinals. People don't think of the Cardinals as being like one of the worst run teams in the NFL. People think of like the Lions. Well, they're they're probably pretty close, but that's well, yeah. But yeah. people don't think of them that way, though. You know, people because they're good yeah, enough. You're talking outward yeah. perception. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, and that's kind of where ASU is. So um, we have some more big picture discussion because we actually got two comments. Yeah, no, I want to give a a huge shout out to these two comments because they were both extremely insightful and I'm pulling up. It's the guy who left the really long one. Yeah. So, okay. So the first one, big shout out to that guy. That guy is my favorite dude that has listened to this podcast so far. And I want to give a quick, um, Brent so Armstrong. Aware, right. Brian Armstrong, just so you're Brent. aware, Brent Armstrong, I'm sorry. Just so you're aware, Brent, you are probably 
one of our first two viewers. So put that on your <laughs> resume, whatever you need to do with that. You have earned that, my friend. Thank right. you so much for showing out and uh, providing your feedback on our first episode. Yeah. Well, we'll get to, so there's two comments. Uh, Kenneth Evans, six days ago, um, he comments, Texas Tech used to be in the border conference with y'all many years ago. So there's some history there. That would be Brent, a benefit. Brent got of on him. Brent got on him. Oh, no, I know. But yeah, saying <laughs> uh, not cultural fit. I think ASU will be a cult. The thing with ASU can be a cultural fit in anywhere they go, I feel like, because ASU has so many people from all different parts of the country. And it's in terms of moving to the Big 12, it's not a geographical like spit in the face of God, like UCLA and USC going to the Big 10. You know, it's not as it's not quite as bad. Um, and but I like being a rival with Texas Tech, like I wouldn't hate that if we ended up in the Big 12. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's definitely interesting. And you're right, geographically, like it makes sense. Enough uh, sense. Yeah, en- enough sense. Like I, I get that for sure. Um, and we had the, you know, I mean, when we were in college, we had the um, the Kent, K- Kalen Bellage eight touchdown game. Oh, dude. Um, Patrick, Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that game was crazy. Uh, Gump, Gump Hayes picking off Patrick Mahomes. That's an all time ASU moment for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, when A- that's when ASU's defense was so bad. Like, you knew Patrick Mahomes was good, but he was like, well, what do you think that like 500 yards passing every game? So. What do you think the total of that ASU going Texas into it? Game, yeah. What do you think that was set at? Well, uh, I, I forget. It had to be score. 70s, right? I'll look up here. Let me look up the final score. But I, I'm pretty sure the final score yeah. was like in the hundreds. I'm almost certain. I would say that that total was probably set at 70 and you're looking at it and you're like, Ooh, that seems high. And it still gets exceeded by 30 points. Okay. It was insane. That was, that was my favorite game that I've ever covered for sure. Oh, me too. That was such a fun game. That was a, such a fun game. Uh, that one. And then the, the Washington game. Oh yeah. Were they upset? 15 Washington was fifth. And they upset yeah. Washington. That was pretty cool too. No, they won that game like thirteen to ten or something. I think was yeah, that. It was, it was a it was a slugfest for sure. I think that was in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever it was that yeah. sixteen or seventeen or something like that. Okay, so the so the twenty sixteen ASU Texas Tech game, um, in the twenty sixteen ASU Texas Tech game. Does it show you what the like the total was set at? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to find that. I might not be able to find that. Down. Yeah. But, um, guess what the score was? I'm I'm saying I, I I don't remember, but I think it was something like sixty-one to fifty something. Sixty-eight fifty-five. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's insane. One hundred twenty-three total points. Mahomes threw for five hundred forty yards, five touchdowns, two picks. Kalen Balaj had seven out of that, that sparky formation. Yeah. No, Texas tech couldn't stop that. No, and I'll give credit for ASU for just pounding it over and over again. Like, um, Todd Graham offensive mastermind. That's yeah. Balaj had, he only had, he had 13 carries for 137 yards. Who did Balaj? Yeah. 13 yeah. for 137. He averaged 10 and a half. 
and had seven touchdowns. He also caught a touchdown as well. So eight total touchdowns. That game might have gotten him drafted. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's still in the league. He's still in the league. Yeah, he's still playing. He's a charger, right? I he's been on a lot of teams. I can't remember. Yeah. I think he might be on the steel. I don't know. Um, Demario Richard had 30 carries for 109 yards. So another Manny Wilkins, 55 rushing yards, and then newly acquired Chicago Bear, Nikhil Harry also had a touchdown. Yeah. I think he'll do better with the Bears. That's just yeah, I, maybe I just think, I think I, New England is a is a really tough team to excel with as a wide receiver, unless you're rookie. a slot guy or yeah. you're Randy Moss. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think now they have like uh, Matt Patricia as their offensive coordinator or something. Like, oh, dude, we could we could go down a rabbit hole here, Mark. We have to we have to get back on track. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, Kenneth, thanks for the comment. I'm sure we'll have plenty of barn burner ASU Texas Tech games in the future if that does happen. I hope so. Yeah. Those are excellent. I need to win some money on some overs. So Brent, we're not going to read the whole comment because it's very long, but thank you for. Um, I honestly though, like salute to you, Brent, like it gave us so much to, to think about. So yeah. I just want to stress that we truly appreciate your comment. Yeah. Um, Brent, his main point is that he doesn't really want ASU going to the big 12 because it would hurt ASU's recruiting of Southern California. Um, and he and he doesn't really want to deal with no more trips to Ots in Washington or the farm. But hey, you get to go to Lubbock, Stillwater, Waco, and Manhattan, Kansas, plus a trip to Disney World every third or fourth year. <laughs> That's a good call. So I I kind of agree and I kind of don't. And where I do agree is yes, I would rather go to the Pac-12 destinations than a lot of the Big 12 schools. Like that's not, especially since you can just fly into most of them. Um, I do think that if, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I do think that if ASU ends up going to the big 12, it's probably going to be with Oregon and Washington. Yeah. Oregon and Washington. So you still might have those uh, matchups matchups. And if you don't, then it's because those two went to the big 10. And so um, whatever that's at ASU's control. The one thing about Brent's comment when I was reading it that I actually agreed with, and I didn't think about, I, I agreed with most of it. He made a bunch of points that were excellent. But the one thing that stood out to me um, was sort of the leftovers in Texas that I didn't really think about. Because I think he's right. At this point, ASU would only get like bottom of the barrel two-star guys. And I yeah. think ASU does have the reputation. Obviously, Antonio Pierce is gone. And we have the, the NCAA investigation looming probably going to be the last team that ever gets if it even comes like who knows it'll if, if, it, if it ever comes, comes. But... hopefully the ncaa dissolves before they can hand anything down oh. and if they don't i think asu is going to be the last school that ever receives any sort of punishment <laughs> from the ncaa in true asu fashion yeah that would be like fitting for what this yeah. program has to deal with um but i absolutely agree with brent in that sense that they're going to have to scrape the bottom of the barrel to recruit in Texas. And at the very least, they still have that reputation in California. And while they won't get to go to the Rose Bowl and the Coliseum anymore, you're still going to get to go to the farm and Berkeley and Austin and Seattle, these places on the West Coast. Uh, and I think that's a much more convenient trip than going to these 
tiny cities that are strictly yeah. college towns in the Midwest and in the Southern region. So I, I absolutely agreed with Brent's point on that. And I appreciated him pointing that out. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think every conference needs to have um, some like true college town type of vibe. But I, get, I get your point there. I think, uh, I think I'm going to be embarrassed for asking, but what is the Disney world school that he was talking about? UCF. Oh. Orlando. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, um, I had no idea what Disney world was at that point. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, so I, so I think that um, ASU, if they were in the big 12, I think that they might, I don't think that it would just, Oh, you can never recruit Southern California anymore because you're still going to be one of the closest schools to the main hub of Southern California. Like you're probably the third closest big school besides obviously USC and UCLA. Mm-hmm. Right. And also yeah. you're def- you're easily the, because th- maybe Cal and Stanford, it's an equal drive. I don't know, but you're definitely the third closest school to the Inland Empire though, like San Bernardino, Riverside. And there's a ton oh, of kids. ASU is like significantly closer than the Bay area for, by, yeah. like, by like six hours. Yeah. Well, especially, yeah. And especially for like, if you're getting kids, yeah. Like I said, from the Inland Empire, like San Bernardino. So I still think that they'll be able to recruit Southern California in the big 12. Um, I think that he's right that especially with more teams poaching Texas and the SEC will be in there even more mm-hmm. that it's not going to be like you're hoping for a few guys here and there, but I guess there's just so many kids that play football in Texas that I do think that it's still a lot, um, but we will see. And ultimately like if ASU is really going to be like the program that it could be, and maybe some would say should be is maybe Maybe before you go outside of the borders of Arizona, you actually try and just actually prioritize recruiting the state of Arizona, which is not a bad state to recruit from either. Like it's not what it used to be like 10 years ago. So yeah. Right. No, I, I remember Nikhil Harry committing and I was like, oh my God, they actually got a top air like Arizona right. recruit. Because this and was I- in the wake of uh Christian Kurt going to tech. Right. And I remember uh Connor Murphy, friend of the show, uh, out of Brophy, and and his well, he wasn't even considering ASU. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He took his official visit there, but that's a story for another day. I have a lot of stories about that whole experience. Um, But shout out Connor, really good dude. Um, But Jim Harbaugh slept on his floor, man. Like that's how bad Jim Harbaugh wanted to recruit Connor and. I'm not, I'm not saying we have to do stuff like that. Jim Harbaugh is obviously Jim Harbaugh, but just putting somewhat of an emphasis on keeping in-state recruits in-state would be nice. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, with at the peak of it, when they're actually getting guys to come in um, from California, they hold brand, they had the whole Cali devils thing, which like, that's awesome when it's working, but you need to, prioritize the freaking valley like just just have a coach i mean you have sean aguano on staff who used to coach chandler and like they when's the last i I feel like chandler kids never come to asu no i think you coached at saguaro right aguano i i'm pretty sure either way it was a it was an arizona high school either way um you're right like you don't you don't see big time arizona recruits saying like oh i I would love to stay home and, and play in Arizona. Like they just, 
And that's the thing with these these schools with that these national reputations. It was Chandler. Yeah. Okay, I was wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Which makes it worse because Chandler's even closer than Saguaro is to ASU. And Nikhil Harry went from Chandler to ASU. So you yeah. think like there'd be kids that wanted to follow in his footsteps or whatever, but it, it just, it, that is probably one of the biggest downfalls of ASU is their lack of emphasis on in-state recruiting. Yeah. I think it's been a problem for a really long time and you don't see big time programs. Not that ASU is a big time program, but if we're talking about a top 30 program, size yeah. Right. Any top 30 program in the country should be able to top 50. Recruit, just, yes. recruit efficiently in their own backyard. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not only, well, and I think there is some of it's like environmental factors in the sense that a lot of people are not from Arizona who live in Arizona, you know, like I'm example a of that. Like I was born in Washington state and I grew up there, you know, um, and there's a lot of people like that whose parents are like, oh, we're from the Midwest. We moved here when you were seven and they don't have any connection to ASU. So that's always going to be an issue, but it's not like it's, that's not everyone. And it's not just don't so give yourself a crutch, to 18, you know? From seven to 18, you're growing up right. in Arizona and there's no like, there's no rich. And we talked about this fair weather thing earlier in the show and i think that's a huge problem is there's no rich tradition in arizona no of anything yeah. i think the closest that we've come to it is the suns you know like there's right. when well, they've been around not, the longest right so. and there's no rich tradition in arizona so there's no reason for these these big time recruits to be like i, I want to stay home you know i want to keep this tradition going yeah. more tradition or there's less of a reason yeah, yeah. right right yeah. So, uh, thanks for the comments, gentlemen. Um, it's definitely good to get an outside perspective. Um, yeah. So the season is creeping up closer and closer. Um, I mean, it's next month technically because the NAU game is at the end of August. Uh, and it's interesting, like from, I think, ASU's win total is kind of, I've seen it at like six, I've seen it at five and a half. Um, that feels right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, it, I think, I think if you take the over or the under on that, you're going to be sweating it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. a good way to put it. That's yeah. like right where they're going to be. And so I think a lot of my outlook on the team. So let's just, in the wake of all the transfers out of the program, first it was first it was like Tommy Hill, Johnny Wilson, some of the guys right after the season, then Jaden Daniels transfers after uh, saying he would stay. So that was fun. And then after spring, uh, spring football, you get the whole wave of Ricky Pearsall transferring, Eric Gentry going to USC, LV Bunkley Shelton leaving to Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma. Jermaine Lolay is the most recent one. Uh, and there's guys I'm forgetting, but I'll just, you know, a lot of, a lot of important players on the team leaving. And at that time, at like the end of April, when that was all going on, the best quarterback on your roster was Paul Tyson, Trenton Bourget. Like, yeah, at that, like that, it was, uh, there, there are over under would not be like five and a half. If Emory Jones didn't come in. And that kind of gets to my point of 
my expectation just for on the field football changed once Emory Jones announced he was coming to Tempe, not because Emory Jones is going to be like a Heisman winner or first round draft pick or like, he's not going to be like the guy. He's going to be steady. You won't have to worry about any sort of adjustment. He's a guy that's done it before. And that's the biggest thing that stands out to me looking at this depth chart and looking at this roster is graduate transfer, graduate transfer, senior transfer, graduate transfer. There's a lot of guys that have done it before and are coming to play for this program. And I think that's what we talked about on our last show is they're going to have to hit that, uh, that sort of pipeline extremely hard. Guys whose futures won't be compromised because of a looming decision by the NCAA, right? Yep. And we're looking at that right now, and that's what I'm seeing on this roster is transfer, transfer, transfer. I, I talked about it. And then, um, you know, it's the same thing on the defense. You're looking at the same thing. Merlin Robinson still on the roster too. Uh, so, you know, we're so kind well, of – Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going through it, and we've seen a lot of guys that have, have done it before and are familiar with yep. both this program – and the landscape of college football. So you're not you're not getting in a bunch of like, you know, guys that were three star recruits last year and now have to step up. Right, right. And a lot of guys that have played at a very high level coming over, and, and now it's up to the coaching staff. And we've seen that obviously this program is not renowned for developing talent, which is exactly what they think they are now going to have to do in the landscape of NIL, which right. we talked about which makes no sense at all. Yeah. No, I've never done that before. Um, so it's just good that we now don't have to worry about, oh, how is this coaching staff going to develop some of these guys? Because they won't have to. And I think that's why I'm feeling a little optimistic is you're not going to have to see that development with a lot of guys. They're going to have to learn the systems. They're going to have to adjust to a new situation, but they're not going to have to learn what college football is about. Right, right. Yeah. And don't get us wrong. Like this team is not going to win the Pac-12 South next year. Like, Absolutely not. I'm just saying they're yeah. not going to win. They're not going to win three games. No. And they're yeah. not going to be blown out every time they they play a team that should beat them. I think they'll be competitive. Yeah. I think I think you'll see a lot of games where it's like, oh, they shouldn't have been in this game, and here they are. Not saying they'll win those games, but I don't think they're going to be twenty-seven to zero at half or anything like that. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of been a common theme with ASU football over the years is when people think that like, and a somewhat recent example of this was what turned out to be Todd Graham's last year. They're coming off the season where they had the embarrassing territorial cup loss. They go five and seven. It was just looking bad and they go seven and five, which is not like fantastic, you know, but it's also like, oh, this was better than I expected, you know? And I, Seven and five, seven and five feels tough for them to get there, but I do think they could go six and six. Um, I don't have my official record prediction yet, but it feels like a season like that is possible. Right. I think their absolute ceiling, the best case scenario, everything goes right for them. They steal a couple games. I think the ceiling is eight wins. Yep. Yep. But I think the floor is probably somewhere in the four to five range. I'd say four for the floor. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like if, if they win eight games this year, that would just make the, that would just make last year's team winning eight games feel even worse. Right. And that, but that's like the best case scenario. Oh, for sure. Right. That's if like everything, if everything goes right for you, yep. 
that's like if you get great turnover luck, make a few long field goals that you <laughs> otherwise may not have made. Right. Don't catch fumble. a team on a bad don't like, after an injury. Don't fumble any pick sixes in the state of Utah. Yeah. I don't think we play in the state of Utah this year. So, oh, thank God. Yeah. Cause we host Utah. So, um, it's, it's, it should be, it's, I mean, there's no, no ASU fan really has any sort of hope for this season. Um, and I'll say this like, I, look, I'm a Seahawks fan too. So I'm kind of in the same boat with my NFL team. It is kind of nice to go into a season with, no expectations there's no pressure like just try to not you know look terrible every weekend like they're like it it is kind of liberating as a fan to just be like okay i just want to i'm just going to watch this and my weekend's not going to be ruined if you know they lose a game early in the season that they shouldn't have lost like it might have been last year for some fans you know because there's no expectations yeah, I think last year was the year that there was those expectations too. You know, oh, like definitely. We talked about it on the last episode. Um, Utah, and it was national expectations too. It wasn't this. This isn't. This wasn't just ASU fans buying into their own hype. There was people who had no stock in ASU. Like their over under win total last year, I think, was nine games. So, yeah, right. And and like going into especially after the twenty twenty season where it was like you know, the, the USC game and all of those crushing began and then ending with that territorial cup that was like 77 to whatever it was. Right. Um, but going into last year, obviously you had those expectations and, and you're watching it and you're watching Utah have the season. Right. That ASU right. absolutely should have had. And I felt like that's what this Herm Edwards era was sort of trending towards. Right. The opportunity to have a season like that. And they had that opportunity and it just didn't work out. And now we're kind of in the wake of that, where what is the best that can possibly happen here? The NCAA dissolves before they can hand down punishment. Like that's literally it. And and this is a different discussion that I don't actually want to get into today, but there's probably some fan base fans of ASU that are just rooting for them to go two and 10. So there's no, they can't possibly keep Herm Edwards, you know, um i think but, might retire like yeah pretty soon anyway you know we'll he's been see. doing it for a long time but yeah i mean he's in his late 60s so it's not unreasonable yeah um but i think the main what i kind of started this out with having emory jones just give this gives this team a much higher floor you know he played in the sec last year he went six and six as a starting quarterback in the sec which is not that impressive but he's going to a much worse league. So therefore, like I'm looking at Emory Jones's game log from last year. And so he threw for 2,734 yards, 19 touchdowns, 13 picks, you know, good, not great. Um, as kind of, we've been saying, uh, he rushed, he actually rushed um, 759 yards and four touchdowns. So he is a capable, like, He's a good runner too. Um, and looking at his game log, like it's Florida was a weird team last year. Like it was Dan Mullen, like they, he kind of lost the locker room. So it's kind of a weird, uh, just a weird season, you know? Um, but I'm looking at September 18th of last year against number one, Alabama, 
the Gators lost that game, but they lost it 31-29. And so if I have a quarterback that led his team to basically score 30 points against Alabama. And I'm pretty sure that's that not game, bad, you know, and the game came down to a two point conversion. If I'm not, it mistaken. did. And I think it was, I, I think it was like, I, I think this involved Emory Jones and like, he like slipped, like going, it was like a quarterback draw and he like slipped on it, but like, whatever, that's just a one. But like one taking like, number one, Alabama who has been the superpower of college football for however who long. almost won the national championship this year. And this wasn't even like one of the better Alabama teams. Taking know? that just defense to the brink where like, you have to slip to lose that game. Yep. That's that's impressive. Yeah. And then actually the next week, I actually happened to be at this game. They hosted Tennessee. They beat the brakes off in 38-14. Uh, 21 of 27 for two touchdowns. Like, I, I feel like he's like the Alex Smith of college football, you know? If Alex Smith was was good at – I guess Alex Smith was – No, he was a good runner. runner. Yeah. Like, just in the sense that – just in the sense that, like – they're just good. You know what you're getting. And another thing with Emory Jones is that, um, and this is some just non-scientific research, but like I'm looking at a lot of his inst- like social media and on Instagram, you see a lot of his old teammates, like he's there, they really want him to succeed. Like you can tell, like he was a leader of that Florida team. And that's what this team needs. Like, I'm not a huge like intangibles guy in sports. I think a lot of that, I think sometimes people just use intangibles to just make whatever point they want to make about a player and they can't really be proved wrong about it because it's intangible. Um, But that said, I think that, you know, having a quarterback who like is a good leader and gets the buy-in from his teammates, that could just maybe mean one more win that they didn't, that ASU wouldn't have otherwise got, you know? Right. Like that stuff does matter to a point. Um, and that's, you know, and, and, and when you juxtapose that to, you know, the day that Jaden Daniels transfers and there's the video come out of guys like messing around with his locker, you know, that's yeah. a big difference than, you know, ex Florida teammates being like, go get him at ASU type of deal. So right. no, we'll I see. Do. I mean, this could all blow up, <laughs> you know, this could all sound really stupid, uh, you know, when they're two and four or whatever, but I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Honestly. Like I think we're going to see a very ASU season. Well, I do think they'll start out poorly because the beginning of their schedule is brutal, but because yeah. they play, they play and Oklahoma they're... state, USC and Utah all in the first five weeks. So they could easily lose all those games, but. Hopefully they beat NAU. Yeah. Hey, U of A couldn't do that last year. So I forgot about that. I know. know. U of A, their football schedule is insane this year because um, I think they, they host, well, they host, their FCS opponent is hosting North Dakota State, which like, I would not want ASU to play North Dakota State this year. No. No. <laughs> I would not sign up for that at all. I feel um, like if you said, when, when's the last time North Dakota State played like an FBS team? Like uh, an team? I don't. I'll have to find that. But because um, I feel like I don't know when the last time. I feel like they beat one of those teams every year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like the next time, if you host like 
if you scheduled them against like a Mountain West team or something like that, they'd get an auto invite to that conference. Right. And they'd say, no, we're, we're good winning a national championship every year. So, right. Yeah. North no, Dakota State. Yeah, U of A. That's the QB factor. Though. Yeah, no kidding. Um, just checking their schedule. Oh, my gosh. Okay, this out of conference good. I'll give Ray Anderson and Hermed. Uh, Hermed wasn't making the schedule. Ray Anderson credit for the schedule because ASU's out of state game, out of conference games are hosting NAU, going on the road to Oklahoma State. That's going to be very difficult. And then, but but then you host Eastern Michigan, so it's like you have two kind of gimmies. But you you have a week one at San Diego State. So you're basically going on the road to play the best Mountain West team that that like that's just probably going to be a loss. Oh, next week they host Mississippi State. So that's going to be really tough. And then you host North Dakota State. Oh, wait, U of A plays North Dakota State. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's how the, that's how. Yeah, that's how NDSU got brought up on the show. So that's um, hey, you know what? I, this I, is I not a Wildcat that. podcast, but I miss I, I'll definitely pay attention to them and uh, how they do this year because they should be improved. But the question is how much improved because yeah. Anyway, um, kind of wrapping up here. Uh, I was, I figured um, since this is our second podcast, we should kind of uh, just kind of give our background with both of us cover the team, student media, we're how, like what our kind of uh, personal relationship is with, ASU football and I'll let you go first since you grew up in Peoria and uh yeah yeah no but that doesn't really change anything because I no. wasn't really like a diehard and that that kind of okay yeah. to our point is I didn't really care about ASU football I had a friend who played at Stanford so I watched Stanford like mm. pretty intently all throughout high school um and I didn't really start to follow ASU until I got to college okay and then you know, it, it was still kind of more casual. Like I was more caught up in the the sort of student response to the sports, you know? Okay. I was like, okay, yeah. this is this is fun. Like I, I like being a part of this. Um, but it wasn't like, oh, what's happening with the roster every year? And I oh, made yeah. friends, yeah, I, I got to be friends with a couple players on the team and stuff, and um that kind of helped me develop like right. the passion that I sort of have for it now. But it wasn't something that I was like born into. I think there's right. very, it's definitely something that happens in Arizona where you're born into it and you're yeah. an ASU fan your entire life. But that, that never was it for me, you know? Right. And every, um, everyone has a different experience. Yeah. 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 Everybody has a different experience. And I think that's what you see a lot with those like really passionate fans is these people that have grown up as ASU fans. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what is, what is ASU done to, attract the interest of the people that didn't necessarily grow up with that right yep. it's like yep. they haven't done very much the only reason yep. i'm as invested as i am is i went to asu for four years you know right. um so yeah covered the team for two years from i think it was 16 till 18 okay Those two seasons i covered the team um in like a video capacity writing capacity editor editor excuse me capacity um so yeah i i have that sort of background to it where i'm not like die hard invested but i've also 
seeing the inner workings of uh, I was mainly the Todd Graham era. I got to cover Herm Edwards press conference when he got hired, but uh, that was um, fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was more the Todd Graham era, but did cover the team for two years. So that's kind of my background. Yep. Yeah. That, well, I, I also covered the team for the, the same two years. So uh, both of us were class of 2014 to 2018 at ASU. So our, our final two years, covering ASU and it's definitely it's it's much different the problems they're facing at the end of the Todd Graham era versus the end of the Herm Edwards I mean end of the Todd Graham era was just like this team can't play defense at all <laughs> they can't recruit um well ASU can't do that now but it's for a much different reason um they just couldn't recruit no with no NCAA violations um and yeah so I mentioned earlier I'm from originally from Washington State uh, but last year of high school, once I knew I was going to ASU, that's when I kind of started paying attention to them. And obviously when I was in school and then um, I'll say like, I, and then my first two years of college and a little bit after college, but I'll say this, like my interest in the program has gone up a lot uh, since kind of the scandal broke which is kind of weird, but it's just, there's been a lot of information that's come out. There's been just all sorts of, you know, transactions like players transferring in and out. Um, there's just been a lot of news and just a lot of, and a, and a lot of what's going to happen next. There's just been existential questions about the program and what, like, how do they get out of this? And who's, who's going to be the next coach if that happens, like all sorts of stuff like that. And so, that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast too. Just, I just kind of want to share my thoughts about all the comings and goings at ASU football. Uh, yeah. So with that, I think we'll wrap up episode two. Thanks for tuning in in the future um, of when this is recorded. So Colton, you got anything else to add? Um, just a huge shout out to the the people that have watched our first episode. I, um, I, I, don't usually go back and watch things that I was on. I kind of just let it be. Um, and then Mark sent me the link. And uh, I, I, I'm generally used to very negative comments because that's what the internet is about. Um, but I saw two very positive comments um, from two solid viewers. And I was like, we do not know. These are not know. I, I have no idea who you yeah. guys are, but I, I respect you because you were positive and you were interested in um, just a, a generally productive dialogue. And I was like, I forgot that people like that exist. And it honestly renewed my desire uh, to continue doing this. So I just want to give a huge shout out to those two um, for not just telling us that we don't know anything, but for actually <laughs> Uh, commenting and, and providing us even talking points to come on right. the show and, and discuss. So I hope you continue to do that. Both of you guys, I know Brent uh, was one of them and the other name is escaping me, but I genuinely, Kenneth. Kent, Kent, right? Kenneth. Kenneth. Okay. Kenneth, Brent, I appreciate both of you guys. Thank you both so much for uh, sharing your thoughts. And I hope you do that this week as well. Well, I'm sure the negative comments will come soon. They're enough. coming, but I'm not yeah. ready for it yet. So if I said <laughs> something dumb, maybe save it till episode three. You snowflake. Yeah. Can't handle yeah. the internet criticism. Mark's the snowflake. Yeah, that's right. I am. All right. Well, with that, episode two is over. Like and subscribe, please. And go Sun Devils. Yes.